You know why I'm so passionate about Music to Code By? Because it works. I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you who sail effortlessly through hours of coding. There's only one problem. They can't get enough. Well, not only are we up to track 13, but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price. The collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago, still only a little more than 4 bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only 3 bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1373, recorded Friday, October 21st, 2016. Hey, guess what? Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, we're here for another hour of geekiness. Hey, Richard. Hey, buddy. Hey. As we are getting ready to do this uh came across my desk that there's a huge linux vulnerability uh exploit going on right now as we're recording this and uh it's a most serious linux privilege escalation bug under active exploit wow well that's the whole thing is you know it's only been discovered because it's under active exploit so yeah yeah yeah. we are vulnerable right now get your machines patched reminds me of the open ssh vulnerability which was the same thing it's like this is not only a a, a real vulnerability that we all have but if it's being uh, used you don't know it because it leaves no trace right and apparently any user can become root in less than five seconds wow very scary anyway we're not going to talk about that but we will link to it since i brought it up yep so i guess it's time for better no framework awesome All right, dude, what do you got? Well, I had so much fun with your polar bear shots in your uh, Theta S, Rico Theta S camera. Oh, yes. This is a 360 camera that Richard bought and took it on his Arctic expedition. And we talked about it in the Arctic Geek Out. Uh, and I had so much fun looking at that that I went and bought one for myself. And I actually figured out how to do a YouTube video in 360, which is a lot of fun. But the Rico Theta S is kind of cool, but it starts with a 1080p image. Yeah, a pair of them, right? Yeah, it starts with 1080p. So by the time that you get a 360 video out of it, it's really, really fuzzy. Yeah, it, you'd only so focus so far, too. Plus, right. you're stretching a 360-degree view. You know, normally when you'll get a 1080p screen, it's only a small section of a view. Yeah. So, you, you know, it's you get a lot more s- pixels for what you're looking at. Yep. So I went looking for better versions of this, you know, from different manufacturers, and I found the Insta360 4K camera. So if you go to uh, 1373.pwop.me, that's the uh, the link. That's to Amazon.com. It's a 4K 360 camera. It's 550 bucks US. I guess in June when they did the review at YouTube, which I'll also link to. 
uh, it was about $800. So the price has come down since then, but it also can record to an SD card. Nice. Has a USB port and external mic jack, which is very cool. And it also has a 5,000 milliamp hour battery that can last for a hundred minutes of continuous recording. And of course you can plug it in too. So needless to say, you can do longer, higher quality, better videos with it and it's priced accordingly. It's interesting to see, well, it's interesting to see how fast these prices are coming down and how quickly we're innovating here. Like I was very aware of the fact that this is a rapid moving market yeah. as we're exploring what to do with 360 video. Uh, you know, there's pluses and minuses around these things without a doubt, but it is an interesting explore right now. It sure is. One thing I noticed uh, is the videos that I've seen being taken with it tend to look a little choppy. And I'm wondering if that's because they're being taken at 30 FPS and then scaling down to whatever YouTube does to them. Um, or if it's just a premiere codec or whatever it is, but they look a little choppy. It, it seems like the, the, the tooling for managing 360 video is not that good yet. They're still trying to figure out how to handle it. And the, you know, these are not big lenses. They're right. fairly detailed sensors and yeah. the software is only so good inside them because they're, they're so busy trying to get the price down. I tell you what, I had a heck of a time trying to get the video 360-ized and on YouTube. There's uh, tools that you have to download and things that you have to do in the right order and the documentation just isn't that clear. Yeah. Yeah. This is the edge, right? We're, yep. we're, we're exploring on. So that's yep. cool. Next generation of cameras already showing, and I'm sure there's more coming. Yeah. Well, I thought you'd like that, Mr. Campbell. So yeah, uh, sure. that's my contribution. Who's talking to us, buddy? Grabbed a comment off of show 946, the last DC geek out we did, which was the first DC geek out we yeah, did that's right. in January of 2014. So that is a while ago. Yeah. But I really did literally listen to this show and, and sort of take a look at what's happened in two years. Because back then, I first discovered Lumen Cash, and I was already putting LED lighting into the house, but it was all running off AC wiring. Mm. And now we're at a different place because I've actually installed Lumen Cash in the house. So uh, this particular comment comes from Bruce Meacham, who says, who's actually been a guest on the show. He did the geek out on uh, electric cars with us. Cool. So, and his comments three years ago. So he says, on DC versus AC in general, I think you're right. Most home devices should be predominantly solar-backed DC with AC used for legacy high-power items like car chargers, clothes dryers, ovens, ranges, and so on. Someday we can find good renewable alternatives for these too. But here are the real advantages of the AC-DC environment. AC is far superior at huge voltage conversion to very high power mm. via the power grid, We, which is... Yeah, it's not really true anymore. We have good DC power transmission, too. It's mostly used in Europe, literally using superconductive wiring. Um, but uh, the AC one's been around a lot longer. And on the other hand, we've never made effective AC microchips. No, uh, yeah, running electronics on AC would be weird. That'd be hard. <laughs> I would say impossible. Yep. It's just not necessary, right? Yeah. You know, you think about the way that transistors work, and this is exactly where Bruce goes with silicon-based transistors that made the PC possible. Mm. They really need DC, yeah. just the nature of the way they work. But the super important solution is the switch power supply. Right. And we, I don't know if we've ever really drilled into this. The switch power supply came out of Japan because Japan has the most messed up power system in the world. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, because parts of the power system for Japan were created by the Germans and parts were created by the Americans. And so they literally have different voltages and different cycle rates in different parts of the Japanese island. Wow. And so 
they needed the switch power supply, which the, the magic of the switch power supply is you can feed it almost any kind of power at almost any kind of frequency, and it will turn it into the DC you want. Wow. Without throwing off a lot of heat. It's, it's, it's a mm. very clever device, and it's in every desktop PC you've ever had. Mm. So, a yeah, very important thing there to uh, be created, and uh, we've now hugely depended on it. So, uh, Bruce, it's a long time coming, but thank you so much for your comment, and a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our social media, because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet because, you know, we convert him to AC and power our homes with him. <laughs> <laughs> so, where do we start, Mr. Campbell? So, where to start? Yeah. Um, obviously, part of the catalyst of doing this revisit is that, uh, I guess, the history lesson of what happened in my house which we never really, I don't think we talk about our personal lives a lot on the show. Everybody knows what happened, though. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I'm asked regularly about the flood in my basement. I mean, it doesn't help that it's happened twice for different reasons. Once when a fish tank burst, and this time when the main drain line in out of my house collapsed. Yeah. Okay, and it was, I mean, I basically rebuilt this house, and, you know, it's almost completely new construction, but the one thing I didn't replace was this drainage line. And, uh, and so it collapsed, but it still was able to bleed out enough water that we didn't notice. It wasn't a big deal. It's not like an alarm goes off or anything like that. But in November of 2015, we had some very powerful rainstorms. We're talking feet of rain, um, which is not that unusual in this part of the world. But we finally got enough rain that it overran that system, that my water management system. So... We have a sump. The sump is supposed to have a drainage line. The drainage line was m blocked, so it finally was not moving water at all. Hmm. And that water backed up until it filled the subfloor of my basement right. and then came in through the floor drains in the basement and put a couple of inches of water across the whole basement. Enough to ruin the walls. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, my experience, you know, what actually happened was I headed off to bed out of the basement around midnight, you know, left my office. Everything's fine. Yeah. The storm is raging. Yep. I go to bed. I get up in the morning, 630 in the morning. I'm back down. I step down on the basement floor, which is carpet and it's wet. And it goes sploosh. Yeah. And you're like, ah, oh, no. Yeah. And then you realize it's everywhere. Yeah. So we figured out what the problem was. We managed the draining. I, I, you know, get the insurance company involved and so on. Now, fortunately, I am married to an amazing woman. You have met her. Yeah, you know she is who. amazing. And her, so her reaction to this catastrophe is to pull out the plans and say, so what changes did you want to make? Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, we the basement is well crafted. The server closet is 18 inches off the ground. Almost all the cabinetry has kicks on it. So none of the boxes for the cabinets are damaged. There was virtually nothing on the floor. So I actually lost very little in yeah. terms of damaged goods per right. se. Right. But yes, all the flooring had to come out. All of the drywall walls were cut four foot and below. So we had a chance to change some rooms around, uh, redesign an office. Uh, mine is now built to be a studio and so on. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we were looking at, the, when we built the basement in 2003, I put in a lighting system called a Lido Lear Compose system. So I like 
fancy lighting. I like to be able to have scene controlling. We have in the, in just that rec room where the TV and stuff is, it's like five different lighting loads. There's a art niche. There were spotlights for certain pieces of art. There was a fill light for watching TV, you know, those kinds of things. And so rather than have a huge wall plate with all these switches on it for each one of the lights, we put in the scene controller. So now you have a little panel with little buttons on it and you program them that when you push this button, it's for TV watching and these lights are off and this one's dim and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we put that back in 2003. Well, by 2009, that product was completely discontinued. And of course, that hmm. was perfect timing because I just finished doing the whole upstairs with it as well. Yeah. So now you're living with a product that doesn't exist anymore. And uh, they and I've largely bought up what little less parts they have because sometimes the switches wear out and things. And so I've got backup parts so I can keep operating the way I want to operate. Yeah. So with the basement torn apart, it was an opportunity to tear all that out and save those parts to continue to maintain the upstairs. And then we can change the upstairs as well. And... Of course, going back to the old DC show, even then we were talking about, I had replaced all the MR-16s in my house with these LED ones, right. mostly Sora bulbs, if you recall, um, which are a little expensive, but very long lasting. And they have the right color spectrum. They fit in all the fixtures fine. So it was an easy refit. You're literally taking out the, the halogen bulb at 35 watts and replacing it with a, a 9 watt uh LED bulb. But there's still AC, right? They're still taking in 12 volts AC. So there's a lot of energy that has to dissipate somewhere. Mm -hmm. The conversion is has efficiency problems. It's yeah. going to waste a certain amount of power. Yeah. Also, you have dimming problems, which yes. I'm still battling upstairs. And I don't know that we ever explained the problem with dimming well. No, uh, I mean, we, we sort of did in the power show long, yeah. long time ago. The and the show? whole idea is that you think that the, the, the dial on the wall is an amplifier, but it's really a resistor. Right. But it's more complicated than that when you get into electronic dimming. So if you actually took an oscilloscope and you clicked it onto your, onto your AC line, you would see this 60 hertz sine wave, right? Up to about 110 volt or 120 volts and then down to 120 volts back and forth across the zero line. 60 times a second, right? That's 120 volt, 60 hertz power. Yeah. Now, when you dim this, you would think you would take that 120 mark and you would lower it. So, there'd be a lower peak. That is not at all what happens. Okay. What actually happens is you notch out the power. So, you take a certain amount of that arc and make it all go to zero. So you can imagine that nice sine wave, but after you get past the peak of the sine wave, some percentage on the downside, it drops to zero, yeah. like a rock. Okay. Okay? And that's called a trailing edge notch. Huh. And the best dimmers out there, the really expensive ones, do trailing edge notching. Okay. The alternative is what they call leading edge notching, which is less expensive. And that's where we keep at zero instead of going up gradually in voltage in the sine wave, and then we jump up at some point to the to our current the voltage we want to be at up to 120. So you're basically taking notches out of the sine wave. So I actually replaced all the light bulbs in my house with LED bulbs and I got them at the right color temperature so that they emulate that, you know, that warm color. Right. And in one of the chandeliers over the breakfast nook in my house it's dimmable, but I noticed that no matter where I dim it, sometimes the lights flicker. Right. And they do, they are the kind that changes color as you dim them down, which is brilliant. However, 
it, it seems like every once in a while, if we, if we dim it just in between a setting or something, if we get it the wrong place, it'll either flick down or flick up. So here's what's going on. Okay. When you want to turn AC sine waves into DC power, right? Yeah. So again, think of that oscilloscope. So you have in, in AC, you're going up to 120 volts in a smooth curve, down to zero in a smooth curve, then down to a negative 120 in a smooth curve and back up again, right? That's the full wave. When you want to convert that to DC, the first thing you do is you put the AC sine wave through what's called a bridge rectifier. And the bridge rectifier now makes the wave all pop to the positive side. So rather than having an arc going up to plus 120 and then down to zero and then down to negative 120, yeah. it's just going up to 120 to zero, up to 120 to zero, up to 120 to zero, over and over and over again. Oh, right? okay. Now, now, if you just did that, you now have a variable voltage DC signal going from zero to 120 volts constantly. And at 60 times a second, which will make your lights flash if they can lose, if they can actually cool down fast enough. In an incandescent bulb, because it's so warm, actually, you know, literally the heat, you probably can't see much difference. Hmm. So the next stage in DC rectification is you would actually put a capacitor in there so that you're holding the power when the voltage drops down. And that smooths the wave out. So you're no longer dropping to zero. You're maybe dropping to 80 or 90 degree volts. Hmm. Okay, so you're still fluctuating voltage. So then you you have additional conditioning to try and get that voltage completely smooth. But the more you add, the more expensive it is. Yeah, right. So when you think about that LED bulb you're putting in there, taking that 12 volts AC and trying to make it into 12 volts DC, they're only going to condition it so well. And then you add notching for dimming on top of that. Okay. And it's electronic dimming, it's not analog dimming. But either, yeah, this is electronic dimming, so it's notching that voltage to zero more often. So what do you think that does? It drags the overall voltage down, and it increases the variability. Yeah. And I mentioned leading edge notching versus trailing edge notching. Okay. So the problem with leading edge notching, which is the most common and the, and the less expensive approach, is that you're hitting that rectifier really hard. You're going from zero to 12 volts instantly. Yep. Right. You're jumping up over and over and over again like that. And that's actually hard on the gear. Mm. They can, they, it's an impact on the gear as opposed to being at 12 volts and dropping down. Hmm. I get it. Okay. And so you end up with buzzing and you limit the lifespan of this equipment. So there's got to be a better way. Well, and this is where <laughs> we talk about true DC lighting. We get a better way. Yeah. So now we're talking about not converting voltage at the light source. We're converting voltage at the back source. Now, every lighting system I've ever dealt with, and pretty much all lighting systems are like this, you sort of have three things you need to do. You need a switch, the, some ability to control the lights. You need the light source, mm -hmm. whatever that may be. And then you need the smarts. Somewhere there's some smarts about a scene controlling or dimming and so forth. Now, in conventional lighting, even if you get away from scene control, let's just talk about conventional lighting, your dimmer tends to be in the light switch itself. It doesn't always have to be that way, but that's the normal retrofit way, that a dimming light switch is a bulkier light switch that actually has the dimming circuitry in it, which is why sometimes those light switches buzz and are hot. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, do have to, and they're more complicated to wire. In scene control lighting systems, where you have multiple lighting sources, often the dimmers are remote. They're in a closet. 
They're somewhere else because the buttons that you're pushing on the wall to command the scenes are not actually the load-bearing switches. They're somewhere else, and they handle the dimming separately. Okay. So it's a bit more of a complex system. Yeah. The the system we talked about back in, in 2014 and the system I actually installed in my house is the LumenCache system. Yeah. Now, I've watched a lot of other DC systems being developed, and most of them are for commercial lighting. Right. right. Because in, in commercial buildings, they're very sensitive to the cost of power, controlling of lights and so forth. Yeah, they sure. want to be able to turn off the lights and remotely and so on. So there's not been a lot of residential development, but you know, kudos to Derek Cowburn and his team. They have stuck with making this product. He's a remarkable engineer, the inventor of most of it, has a bunch of patents, keeps winning awards. Yeah. And so. When I finally had my basement gutted to the point where I have a chance to change the lighting system over, I'm like, I have to try this. Now, for no, for no other reason than hypocrisy's sake, for talking about this long, I got to do this. Right. Now, from what I understand, you know, from when we talked about this, LumenCache has a single AC to DC converter, which happens at the, at the power source. Right. And then powered by DC is distributed to lights everywhere in your home or office or building or whatever. Right. Which so, can be done with Cat5 cable? Well, yes. Some can. It depends on the light. So, there's two ways to dim a DC light. Okay. Okay. And to control a DC light. There is... The, you can vary the voltage yeah. or you can vary the amperage. Okay. Okay. And so, we talk... You'll hear me talk about, when we talk about different lights, constant current lights yeah. versus constant voltage lights. Yeah. So, some lights only want 12 volts or only want 24 volts. They don't want anything else. And if you want to dim them, you have to cut back the amperage. Mm. And some lights can handle variable voltage. The amperage is the same all the time. But then when they cut it down, the resistance is at the light itself, so the light heats up? Nope. The resistances are always back in the panel. Okay. Right? The reason I talk about these two different kinds of lights is the limitation of Cat5 cable. Okay. Now, we want to use Cat5 cable. It's inexpensive. Mm. It's most, almost all of it is plenum these days. So, it's say, it's got fire protections built into it. But it has, they are very thin wires and they can only handle so much power. And so, the, the power restriction on Cat5 cable is 300 milliamps. And so, you'll only find Cat5 cables used for constant current lights. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's fine, right? But just understand, it's only certain classes of lights. Now, in order to make a constant current light, in order to have a constant current light manufactured, you have a particular LED driver in the light that's always expecting that 300 milliamps and responds to variations in voltage between 0 and 24 volts by varying the brightness of the light. Okay. These lights have to be essentially pre-made so that you know what their load level is. This is the, a peak wattage per light. And so, in the LumenCache system, I have bought lights that are 6 watts, 12 watts, and 24 watts. Yeah. And any given Cat5 cable can handle 12 watts. Okay. So, when you buy 6-watt lights, you basically buy them in pairs and you daisy-chain the same Cat5 cable between the pair. When you buy a 12-watt light, it's one cable per light. And when you buy a 24-watt light, it's two cables per light. Okay. You follow me? Yep. So, and but the patch panel approach that LumenCache takes makes this pretty simple. So, you're doing your DC conversion 
in the closet with the patch panel. And what I like about the LumenCast system is all of the complexity of the lighting is in the closet. Mm-hmm. The light switches are dumb. They're just momentary contact switches. Yeah. The lights are dumb. They're constant. In the case of constant current lights, they're constant current manufactured lights. They're also inexpensive. Really? You know, we're talking between 15 and $25 for a light. That's not bad at all. It's quite inexpensive for the light. The expensive part is in the back end. And they're LEDs, so they're going to last forever, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, while we're doing the redesign of the basement, the wife says, I want to use square pot lights. Now, oh. this is a designer thing, right. using square pot lights. So, mm-hmm. I'm not particularly keen one way or the other. All I know is it's very hard to get a saw to cut square holes. <laughs> so... <laughs> And the light bulb's flipping round, okay? Right. At least if it's a, if it's an MR16. It's not like the light, but she, don't, she wants square pot That's lights. It's an artistic flair. You know, I live in yeah. an artsy house. And I'm not disagreeing with the outcome. And we, I'll share lots of pictures on Facebook yeah. of, you know, what we did here. So, we now search for LED constant current fixtures that are square. And we find a bunch of them. And one of the big advantages we find is not only are they relatively cost-effective, less than $20, they're very thin. Hmm. Most of the size that goes into your typical recessed light fixture is actually metal shielding to stop the heat of the light from causing a fire in your ceiling. Well, now you have no heat. Let me tell you how small these lights are. They're barely the thickness of the drywall they're being mounted in. Wow. So, one of the advantages is I was able to put these lights into spaces that had like ductwork behind them so that there was no room for our conventional light fixtures, but these had no problem at all. There was enough room to want a wire, a little Cat5 wire, but that was all. So, we were able to snap these little light fixtures into the holes. Um, I will say building square light fixtures, like actually installing them so they look right, is a total pain in the butt Hmm. because you have to straighten them all. The squares all have to be cut exactly perfectly. But I had a good contractor. He did all that right on. Okay. And then then still there's a little bit of wiggle room to actually straighten the lights, which means we're perpetually trying to get the lights perfectly straight. Now, do you have other kinds of recessed light fixtures and things that had to, where the lumen cache lights had to fit in the existing receptacles? Yes and no. So, on the I, I, I'm, at the simplest level, this is you know Lumen Cash looks fantastic when it's just a regular Decora light switch, mm. which you use theirs, which has the the momentary contact setup with a Cat five cable running from that into the panel, and then Cat five cables running to these these constant current lights, right? One, you know, two per wire or one per wire or two wires per, right? It's all, that's all very simple, simple wiring and so forth, but it's a limited set of lights and they're purpose built lights. Oh. Okay. Okay. But not all the, and so for several rooms, that was fine. But for other rooms, it didn't make sense. I didn't want square pot lights in the laundry room. Sure. Right. The laundry room had your sort of classic 48 inch four tube uh, fluorescent bulbs in it. Yeah. You know, the kind of thing you'd expect in a laundry room. Yeah. So, I'm like, I want to replace those with their LED equivalent. And so, now we're basically making custom light fixtures. So, yeah, because you're t- you're not going to have really long um, fluorescent size lights in, in an LED format. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And at the same time, the the wife said, point blank, you're not replacing the light fixtures in the bathroom. Right. She liked those light fixtures. 
And they're not LED, right? They were not. Yeah. The, the, and again, I'll send a photo of this. The main fixture over the sink was a very stylish uh, brushed nickel with, with glass shields on it. And it used T3 halogen bulbs. These are 100-watt bulbs. And there were three of them. And, they, and that, that's the hottest light in the whole house. Sure. So, but I, what I did say was, what if we kept the same fixture, but I changed the light in it over to LED? Same color temperature will do. And I've basically settled on 3,000 Kelvin lights for workspaces and bathrooms. So, the laundry room, the bathroom, my office, all 3,000 Kelvin. Yeah. And then 2,700 Kelvin in recreational spaces. So, the TV room, the bedroom, all 2,700 Kelvin. Right. So, so my offer was same. I'll even use this fixture, but I'm going to put 3000 Kelvin LEDs in it of comparable brightness. Okay. And fine. So then that she said she agrees to that. So now I have to figure out how to actually do it. <laughs> Two separate problems. Yeah. Right? That's right. But I wanted to. So if you think about what I've done in the house, then is the CCB approach. We're basically putting new pot lights in that are LED from scratch with all this cat five cable. And then. Uh, building fixtures for custom lighting, uh, refitting existing fixtures. So we like that wall sconce, just make it LED. We like that, that ceiling light, make it LED. And then brand new fixtures. I want something that looks like my fluorescent tubes, but is LED. I would light like in the shelf. Yeah. I would like light running down this wall, right? Those, uh, I would like some way to fill my art niche with bright light, but not in, instead of being spotlit. Yeah. So now I had to invent. New light fixtures, essentially, to figure that out. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to announce my early retirement project. It's a business. I buy old crappy cars for good money, turn them into art, and sell them at a huge profit to collectors. It's called Lemon Cash. <laughs> <laughs> good one. Thanks. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Aaron Foley. Hi, congratulations, Aaron. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Yeah. Aaron just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from Developer Express. And hey, if you don't know what we're doing here, just go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And win people do. We've done it, what, four or five times now? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. And it's coming up. Yeah, it's coming up here. So make sure you fill out them forms. So what actually ended up happening with the bathroom fixtures? So I found uh, 12 volt G4 bulbs that were really bright. They are easily as bright as the uh, the halogen bulbs that they replaced. And I literally removed all of the heavy stuff for the 
the T3s out of it mm-hmm. and then put the G4 bulbs in their place and wired them together and then was able to hook them up. Now, this is a different kind of light at this point. It's not a CCB light, but LumenCache supports variable amperage lights. Okay. They have a different controller for it. It's called an SV1. So rather than putting an, a, a CCB controller in for that light, I plug in an SV1 to the panel and then it runs to a separate amplifier to actually power the light. Hmm. So I had it's a, they're little white boxes and then and we run different wire as well. So instead of running cat five wire because it's so thin and can't handle that kind of amperage, we run 14 two or 14 gauge wire, two leads, so positive and negative that runs out to the light fixture. Okay. So, and that's it, pretty much. Found, find the bulbs that make sense, that li- that will fit in the fixture and look right, and then wire them up through this amplifier, controlled by the same panel, works the same way. Dims the same way, uh, turns on and off the same way. That's it. Yeah, that's cool. So, I went to orders.lumencash.com, and uh, you can actually order right online now, which I guess is... Different than the last time I came here, you had to find a dealer and then just go go through the dealer for everything. But it looks like you can order stuff directly now. Well, I had to become a dealer. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that was the simplest solution was simply to buy the dealer kit. And, uh, and, and that helped me learn the system anyway. It takes time to actually figure out how all this works. But there's no, there was no dealer in my area. And so if I wanted to do this, I had to become the dealer. And, and that's just not that hard, right? So... Right. Uh, as long as long as I could, I took the classes and I, you know, paid my fee to become a dealer, got my dealer kit, and then I actually learned what I how the system was going to work. Yeah. And then I was able to figure out how to order the parts that to build out what we wanted in the house. And so, have uh, you had neighbors already talking to you about buying through you? No, I'm not going to sell to anybody else. I became a dealer for me. Yeah. Okay. Now I have real no mo- really no motivation to spread this around because I don't need. I got enough work. You know, there's enough to do. But I'm not going to let something as minor as you need a dealer to slow me down. And trying to convince somebody else to become a dealer is just going to create more grief for me. Sure. So, I just did it myself. Yeah, okay. Uh, Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, so, you know, I've described the various pieces of this thing that the, there is the, the, what they call the PDM of the power distribution module, which is this big yellow panel that looks like a network patch panel. It has 16 cat five jacks on it. And it is the thing that brings in the power and then distributes it to the light. And the, each of those jacks could be plugged into a light switch or a light. And in some cases, those lights then are actually the, the cable goes into an amplifier and out to the light. But in the CCB case, it just goes directly to the light. Yeah. So you spend some time sort of juggling the configuration on the PDM to say this light switch is assigned to these lights and so on. But if I want to wire up additional switches or anything like that, it's just a configuration setting on the panel. So it's pretty easy mm-hmm. to do. But there are three different things you're going to plug into that panel besides the actual cables themselves. It's either going to be for a light switch. It's a thing called a WP one, okay. and it's it's the smartest piece of the whole equation. Is the WP one, right. and then you have the SV one, which is the switch voltage driver, and that's for uh, the lights like the one I built in the bathroom, and the CCB, which is like for those pot lights. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and the reason I call the WP one the smart piece is because that's where you tell it what kind of light switch this is. It's like this is a normal dimmable light switch. 
This is a motion sensor. This is a door sensor. So when a door opens, automatically turn on the light. All of those things are possibly configured off the WP-1. And there is a mode for fully programmable. And then you can communicate with the panel and those light switches uh, via RS-232. Awesome. Love good old <laughs> RS-232. It's back. It's Serial there. port cables. Yep. Hey, so you've been to my studio yep. many times. And you've seen the halogen lights that I have which are very nice. And I have the same MR16s that you do in your house. They're yep. halogen lights. They're standard. But I like them because there's six of them per light bar. And right. I can move them around in different directions and, you know, splash light on the walls and that kind of stuff. Makes a nice little effect. The problem is when I put these in, the transformers aren't dimmable. And I right. put dimmers in them. And so what happens is, I, you know, when somebody comes to use the studio and I forget to tell them, hey, don't dim the lights, they dim them, they get hot, they blow up, the transformers blow up, and Bob's your uncle. So, right. I obviously want to replace these, and I'm just wondering if a dimmable lumen cash solution is is going to make them look as good as they are now. So, here's an interesting thing that I did is in my stairwell... I had conventional pot light fixtures. Yeah. Right? For MR16s. And uh but I wanted to control them with the new DC lighting system. Yeah. The bulbs that were in them were the Sora bulbs, which are LED MR16s. And they're used to converting 12 volts AC into DC to function. Hmm. Well, it turns out if you just give it DC in the first place and you get the polarity right, they just work. Really? So what we actually did was pop open the fixture, it's in the ceiling. Cut the transformer out of the loop. So just disconnect the transformer because we don't need that anymore. We're not stepping down from 120 AC to 12 AC. Right. We're going to just going to feed it 12 DC. Cut the pigtail off that the light actually plugs into. And then wire that to the 14-2 wire back to the PDM, to the lumen cache panel, with an amplifier. And then put the thing back together again. No kidding. That's it. So you're saying I could use the same fixtures I have now with different right. LED bulbs Take yes. out the transformers, do a little right. wiring, and I'm and and I'm off to the races. Right, with a lumen cache panel and a different light switch. Yeah, right, a, a normal dimming light switch, a, a, a dimming light switch that works with uh, the lumen cache system, and you would be working. And so, I'm. I don't want this to sound like an infomercial, but I really, really want to do this. And mm-hmm. how much do you think I'm looking at for this system, money wise? So. I, I was doing the math here, and of course, everybody's prices are going to vary. Yeah, sure. But in my rec room, which has 26 pot lights, the the cost all in for me for that room, so that's the two light switches, the 26 lights, and all the controlling hardware, uh-huh. came out to about $60 a light. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So, you're talking, it was, you know, 1500 bucks for refitting that, that with 26 lights. Okay. Okay, so I have forty-two lights. It's going to be a couple thousand plus. I think it's going to be a couple thousand bucks, yeah. right? Like the Sora bulbs alone are about twenty dollars a shot. So there's eight hundred bucks, mm. right? Then you're going to need the controllers, the amplifiers, light switches. So yeah, you're going to be at three grand. Okay. So uh, what are you doing next week? <laughs> 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 but you know the where this got really fun is when i met Cluj design okay so remember my problem with the laundry room sure i wanted i wanted to do an homage to the fluorescent tube oh. but i did not want fluorescent tube yeah uh 
and it, obviously it had to be LED, it had to be right spectrum, it had to work with Lumen Cache, and so on. And so they turned me on to Kluge Design. That's K-L-U-S-Design.com. And again, I'll include all the links to the show. And what these guys make are LED lighting solutions. So they mostly make a lot of aluminum extrusions. So housings, essentially. And then they have LED tape that you put in them. So you could basically make stuff to size however you want to make it. Okay. So we ended up using a lot of this, including the, you know, the wife got a new office. Yeah. So she actually incorporated uh, the CCB lights, those square pot lights mm-hmm. into the ceiling, but she has two big shelves over her desk and she wanted light in the shelves. Wow. And so if you poke around on Cluge Design, what we used was called Micro K, which is a flush mounted aluminum extrusion that goes into the shelf with a bezel over top to diffuse the light. And inside that is a strip of LED lighting. Yeah. So these strips come in five meter spools and they consume about 14 watts per meter. Hmm. For the And that's for the highest powered stuff they make, which is so bright. If you actually light up that whole five meters, you can see the future. <laughs> so... You, you got to be able to dim it. It's very bright. I saw God, man. <laughs> it'll it'll burn your brain out. <laughs> so, yeah, in that office, we put we lit, and in the in the rec room, we actually embedded in shelving these strips of light, so that it just lights up the shelf, kind of invisibly. You can't see where the light's coming wow. from at all. And we did some cove lighting with these forty five degree angle extrusions as well. Uh, that's how I ended up lighting my art niche. So we have a, a place essentially for a sculpture because I have artists for children. Right. And, uh, and so hidden behind the surround on this little box that's built into the wall, there's two of these extrusions and it just makes the whole thing light up. What's really interesting is the moment you no longer have to have a bulb, something round. Yeah. It's now flat and uh, as long as you want it to be. Vertical lighting actually makes more sense than horizontal lighting. So we actually put these two strips from the bottom of the box to the top of the box on each side, aimed inward, and it just fills the whole box with light. Hmm. So the most complicated solution in some respects was what we did in the laundry room. Yeah. So the particular product, if you poke around on Cluge, is a product called Multi. Okay. And uh, so, multi is an aluminum extrusion. It's quite thin and small, but you can get it as long as you want. But it's maybe six inches across, and I got it four foot long, two of them. And then they have space there for you just to lay down strips of LEDs. Hmm. Uh, We experimented with two. It wasn't quite bright enough. We put in four, and once we couldn't look at it anymore, four was enough. And that happened to, you know, line up nicely with what I wanted for the fluorescent light. So it's literally an aluminum extrusion with these taped LEDs over top of that with a diffuse housing over top of that to, to blur the light and end caps. And you've got this thing that looks sort of like a fluorescent light, only it's barely an inch thick. Wow. It throws off no heat. Wow. Total power consumption actually came into about 60 watts. That is cool. Hey, I have a unique um, application for light. I, you've seen these, um, Luxor alabaster, uh, vases. Yeah. You saw the one that I have at the studio. It's sort of made out of alabaster in Egypt. It, it, they're, they're semi-transparent. They're translucent. That's what they yep. are. So it, it's dying to be sitting on a light or to have a light inside it, just a small one. And dang, if I don't want tea lights, you know, battery powered tea lights to put in this thing. That that would, you know, 
that'd be terrible. So I'm wondering if there's something that you can get that is an LED powered, very low heat base that has a uh, light that will shine up through it that this thing can sit on. You know, I wonder if you couldn't use one of those very flat uh, recessed fixtures. Maybe. And just build a ba- build it into the base. Yeah. Because they're pre-made, you know, they're they a good shape. They, they wouldn't be too tough to use for that. Mm-hmm. So, that, that, that might be a choice. And you're right. I mean, they throw off no heat, so they're, they're quite safe. Yeah. Wouldn't damage anything. Right. And, uh, and also, doesn't consume a lot of power. You know, I've actually made up a couple of strip lights in the aluminum housings yeah. that I carry around with a little gel cell battery pack to power it so I can sort of gauge where to put lights in closets and things. What would be neat is that if I was ripping my, you know, walls out or whatever to put in the, you know, the cabling... Um, to be able to have something like a little platform, uh, maybe, I don't know, four feet or five feet above the floor and just a little platform that with the power is just coming in through the wall. So there's no visible wires or anything. And then just have this thing sitting on it, you know, that with a light coming from inside it. It's just a, one of those interesting ideas that I had when I saw this piece, which is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and, and even if you tried to light it from behind and stuff, there's lots of options there. And yeah. again, it's one of the things I like about these LED lights is they're so low power, you can run them on a battery and just experiment with That's them. That's true, I suppose. I haven't had to try and, you know, solve anything up front. You just try and move them around, try different spots. So, I've put a lot of strips of light into places where you just couldn't normally get light. Yeah. And then be able to control the brightness as necessary. Uh, I put ca- I had cable lights in my old office. That were running MR16s. Uh-huh. I refitted them onto the DC system. Same thing. Just run DC to the wires. Yeah. And and use those Sora bulbs. And it works. There's nothing more to it than that. Oh, very cool. It's really quite simple. So, um, just for a gauge, refitting the basement with uh, LED lighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had three circuit breakers dedicated to the power of the, of the lighting in the basement uh, on the old system. Yep. We have one now. Wow. So we cut the initial power consumption down to a, a third right off the bat by going all LED. Wow. Um, kept a bunch of fixtures. We actually have more light in the house now, in the basement now than we had. So there's actually more different light sources, more controls. Like it is more elaborate than it used to be. But we're now basically set up to do battery backup if we want. I can put batteries onto these panels through the, through the, with some controlling hardware. And then that, those lights would simply have a battery backup if the power ever went mm. out. And we, from there, it's not that hard to add a solar panel to charge those batteries or a little windmill or a run-of-the-river uh, turbine. Once you're living with batteries in your system, you have all of those options. Excellent. What a great show. Thanks, Richard. And uh, it's great that you actually did it and have a, a, a really good report. Yeah, and, and it's very exciting. You know, just before we wrap up, we should talk a little bit about what happened with USB power. It was a big conversation in the show two years ago. Yeah. Where they were just coming out with the new standard for power delivery. Yeah. And uh, and now it's sort of fully in action two years later that we, we have all those options. Because remember we were talking about how do we get DC to the rest of the house? Because so much of the house runs on DC. And I was actually thinking about an elaborate plug with different shapes so that you could you have the right voltage and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't damage anything. Mm-hmm. And, and USB makes all that problem go away because USB has the communication channel where you could actually negotiate how much power you want. Yeah. 
So the USB power delivery standard, which was just being ratified in 2014, takes the normal USB profile, which is only 10 watts. It's 5 volts at 2 amps. Although, admittedly, the original was only 5 watts. Then they did 7.5. But now the full power delivery standard starts at 10 watts, 5 volts at 2 amps. Yep. And then goes up as high as 100 watts. Wow. 20 volts at 5 amps, which is enough to run a tablet. It won't run a big laptop, but it would run, you know, some lighter weight electronics. The big thing that makes this work now is the new USB Type-C standard. Yeah. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One is it, it does support bidirectional power. The plug's really small. It's 2.4 millimeters. So, it's, you know, it's one of the smallest plugs you can get. It's also got a huge data capacity. A Type-C connector with USB 3.1 can replace not only you know, power for your, for external drives and taking your keyboard. It'll also do display port. It could be your video. Yeah. Yeah. All in one plug. So it's sort of evolved into the standard you really want in terms of distributing power. Uh, it's just a question of, you know, is, is a hundred Watts enough, but for all your low powered stuff now, we could be putting USB-C everywhere and provided your gear supports it. It would just negotiate the power it needs and work. Okay. And that's that's pretty exciting. Awesome. Thanks again, Richard. It's great talking to you about this stuff. You bet, bud. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a